not just abounding in the Lord, but it's in excess. Oh, too much, Lord, too much. It's as if when the Lord asks us to try him, to see if he will not pour out his blessings upon us. And when he says they're pressed down and shaken and running over, that there's too much. We're abounding too much in the presence of the Lord, in the work of the Lord, in the walk of the Lord in our lives. That's where the Lord wants us, to abound in excess. Lord, I can't take it. It's too much. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're going to get into the text by reading the first eight verses here. And really this is Paul encouraging the church to abound in Jesus, to abound more and more. It's something that a phrase that he repeated three times in a short portion of Scripture, that we may abound. And one of the areas that he wanted us as a church to abound in is in regards to this area of sexual immorality, not to abound in sexual immorality, but in the fleeing from, to be cleansed from it, to walk in such a way that brings honor to the Lord. And so we read First Thessalonians 4, verse 1, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us, how you ought to walk to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask that now through the empowering of your Holy Spirit that was with Paul as he penned these words. Lord, the word that has been penned, that had been saved for us to look upon this day, nearly 2,000 years later. Lord, the message is for us today as it was for them in that day, there in Thessalonica, for the churches that were in trouble in this area. The message is still relevant to us today and perhaps even more so. 
So we ask, Lord, that you would be with us, that through your Holy Spirit, there would not be a rejection of this teaching, Lord, but an admitting of our sins, confession, and a healing. Lord, we ask your Spirit to work in us now as it worked in Paul as he penned these words, work in our hearts to receive these words and the truth that is in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In all honesty, this is the portion that I have not dreaded, but really looking forward to teaching because it's an area of failure for many of us. When Daniel prayed after the 70 years of captivity, realizing through the word of God that the Lord was going to bring the captives back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, that there was going to be a rebuilding of the temple. When he prayed, he prayed confessing both his sins and our father's sins. When Nehemiah prayed, he had similar prayer, one of mourning and fasting, confessing his own sins, but also the sins of his nation. This is an area where we can not only come to the Lord, I believe, confessing and asking forgiveness too, but also it is a sin that we see in our nation. It's prevalent in our nation today. It is abounding worse and worse, not abounding more and more into the grace that we should have in Jesus Christ and walk in a way that he would have us to walk, but we are abounding more and more as a nation into this area of sexual indulgence, of sexual immorality. But as I said earlier, it's not just the nation or outside of the church, it's within the church. Statistically, there really isn't any difference anymore between the believers and the unbelievers. And Paul is dealing with that same topic then as he talks about the pagans who do not know the Lord. This is what they're doing. In Corinthians, when he's writing to the church of Corinth there in chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, he mentions of a sexual sin that had been brought to his attention of a man who had his father's wife. He was committing sexual adultery within the church, and he said this is something even the world isn't doing. Those outside of the church, they're not even doing it. But here you have a guy within the church who is, was known. The report got back to Paul to be sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul dealt with that, had the church deal with that issue. And we read into 2 Corinthians, we see that there was a restoration that took place in this man's life because he came in repentance. There was a separation initially, but then repentance came. And he was brought back into the church. But this message is a message of our abounding more and more in Christ. It's not one of really to beat up on us, but to bring us to a place of repentance so that we can abound in Jesus Christ. And it's a theme, as I said, that Paul is, is using here, not just in these eight verses, but as we back up to chapter 3, verse 12, we read, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. We closed out our teaching last week with those words. But the desire that we may increase and abound more and more to increase simply means to make more. We have more of. And more of what in context of that verse of love? But to abound, it means to be in excess. It literally means in the Greek to be in excess. 
that we increase and abound to that place of excess in what? In love. In verse 1 of chapter 4, as we have just read, we find that he is asking again, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound, and that's that word for excess, that you have excess more and more to walk in such a way that pleases God is what he's desiring out of this. And he nails an issue that must have been taking place in the church of Thessalonica, that in order for them to walk in such a way that was pleasing to God, they had to deal with this area of sexual immorality. And then in verse 9, Again, and we'll look at this next week, but again, he, he deals with, really, this is the word there for love in verse 9 that's being dealt with is Philadelphia, brotherly love. But he says, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase to be in excess again. He used the same word again more and more in this area of brotherly love, not just within the church. He said all of Macedonia, it'd be like us saying all of Lake County. It's the region that they're in now, that Thessalonica, Berea, a couple of the cities that was in that region of Macedonia. He said that your love toward one another, that brotherly love would come to that place of excess. And so these three ways that he wants us to abound to be in that place of excess, to abound more and more, as Scripture says, it's in love toward one another. I believe to all, meaning outside of the church too, not only within the church, but outside of the church, but then to abound more and more, to walk in such a way that is pleasing to God. We'll be looking at that today. It's more of our work as believers, as we'll deal with next week, to abound in our walk in such a way that we are representing Christ well. One of the great dangers of the church today is because the world isn't seeing a difference between those of us in the church and those who are outside of the church. We're preaching one thing, but we're living something totally different. And for us to come to that place of excess, to abound more and more as Paul is desiring for us, there needs to be a concern of the condition of our walk in this world and our work in this world. He begins this in chapter 1 by saying, finally then. It's not that he's concluding his letter here, but there is a change of subject that is going to take place, a change of context that in the first three chapters, as we've been studying, he had been remembering the church in Thessalonica and how much he loved them. He remembered, if you remember, with us back in chapter 1, verse 3, that their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope in the Lord Jesus. And so he's remembering them. He's also reminding them of their work that they had among them, their desire to see them again. And then in chapter 3, we learn that he sent Timothy back to them. And so it really had a lot to do with this church and the work that the Lord was doing in them, somewhat that of encouraging them, to establish them, to encourage them further. But here he wants to teach. Here it's not the remembrance of the church in Thessalonica, but more so in chapter 4 and chapter 5. He's really wanting to teach the church now. He's wanting to expand on the lessons that he already began to teach on while he was there with them. 
And so he is concerned. I just put down in my notes as I look through these two chapters in verses 1 through 12, he's concerned about their walk as believers. In chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 11, he's concerned about their hope as believers. And in chapter 5, verses 12 through 28, he concludes with their work as believers. And so we're going to be looking at those topics in the next few weeks. Today and next Sunday, concerned with our walk as believers. How are we doing? And so there's a change now in subject. That word finally is announcing a change. And he says to them, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. This urging, this word in the Greek actually is primarily used when you urge someone who is on equal footing with you. Perhaps it could be used in the context of a king who's talking to another king. They were both kings of our nations, of our empires that we have. And this king has come alongside another king. So in the context of this passage, it's one brother to another, brother to brother and sister. Hey, we're on the same footing here. So I want to urge you as a brother in Jesus Christ. But I also want to exhort you. We've already seen this word used here in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, as he said to them, as you know how we exhorted you and comforted you and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you should walk worthy of God. But this exhortation, it means to call near. It's parakletus, if you know in the Greek, I've used these words a few times, so it might be familiar to you. Parakletus is the term that's used of the Holy Spirit when he comes near in our lives. And so parakleo is that same picture of someone coming near. In verse 11 of chapter 2, it's a father coming near to his son or daughter, walking beside them to encourage them. Here it is, Paul coming alongside to encourage them, but it always speaks to deal with one's conduct. It always speaks of the future, not of the past, but of the future. And so Paul is saying that from this point forward, I want to come alongside as a brother to another brother, as a brother to a sister. I want to come alongside. I want to encourage you in this area. And he wants to see that their walk abounds more and more. We've already talked about that, but that word in the Greek deals with excess, and it's found in each of the three times that Paul uses this phrase. Not just abounding in the Lord, but it's in excess. Oh, too much, Lord, too much. It's as if when the Lord asked us to try him, to see if he will not pour out his blessings upon us. And when he says they're pressed down and shaken and running over, that there's too much. We're abounding too much in the presence of the Lord, in the work of the Lord, in the walk of the Lord in our lives. That's where the Lord wants us, to abound in excess. Lord, I can't take it. It's too much. He's concerned about their walk that deals with how we live our life or our conduct in this world. He wants it to be a walk that is pleasing to God. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. He wants our walk to be that of pleasing to God, how we should walk to please God. To the church in Ephesus, he wrote in Ephesians 4.1, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. He wants us to walk 
worthy of the calling. To walk worthy of this calling in this area that he is going to dive into, that we've already given you a clue. We know that it's dealing with sexual immorality. It means to flee from such, to not fall trapped into that. Paul has already set an example for them in this area of this walk. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. To be not a man pleaser, but a God pleaser. In the Bible, we know that Enoch was the first man who is mentioned in Scripture who had a walking relationship with the Lord. Now, we know that Adam did. The Lord came walking in the cool of the garden at night, and we can see that they had this walking relationship. But of Enoch, it was said that Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's found in Genesis 5, verses 22 and 24. But in Hebrews eleven five, the writer of Hebrews said of Enoch, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him before he was taken. He had this testimony that he pleased God. We see by combining these two verses of Scripture, one from Genesis, one from the Old Testament, one from Hebrews in the New Testament, that in Genesis he had a walking relationship with the Lord. and was not, for God took him. And in Hebrews, Paul goes on to further explain that in this walking relationship there was this pleasing God. He walked in such a way that he pleased God. Noah had the same type of relationship. In Genesis 6, 8, Scripture tells us, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 9, it says, and this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Abraham had this type of relationship. In Genesis 17, 1, it was the Lord who came to Abraham when he was 99 years old and said to Abraham, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Jesus had this type of relationship with his father in John 8, 29. He says, for I always do those things that please him. The picture of Abraham walking before the Lord, when we picture ourselves in that same category of not just walking with the Lord, but walking before the Lord. Well, I think of children before their parents or grandparents, now that the gray hairs are beginning to come, that when you have your children walking before you, you're doing that for you can watch what they're doing. You're keeping an eye on them to protect them from harm, to make sure that they're not doing things that are wrong. And the Lord said to Abraham, and I believe he says to us too, walk before me. Hey, I got my eye on you. I'm watching you. But also he desires to walk with us. There's something different about that type of walk. As, he, as we mentioned with Enoch, as we mentioned with Noah, that they walked with the Lord. It really deals with that communion, that fellowship that the Lord is willing to walk alongside us. And here in this area, Paul is willing to walk alongside the church in Thessalonica to bring them into that place to where their walk is pleasing to God. In verse 2, he says, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. 
He's used this phrase in two different ways so far, but he has said in verse 1 to urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus, and now the commandment which we gave through the Lord Jesus, that this portion of Scripture, and he, he puts parentheses around it. He puts Jesus at one side, and then at the end in verse 8, he says, if you reject these teachings, you're not rejecting men, but God was spoken through his Holy Spirit. He puts the whole triunity of the Godhead around this portion of teaching and says, hey, listen up. This is important. This is important. Paul is calling them as a witness once again, as we have seen him do over and over again. He says, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He's reminding them first of the commandments that they had given. Now we know from the book of Acts, that early on in the church, there were some Jews who went out from Jerusalem whom we would deem as Judaizers, who wanted the Gentiles to be saved, but in the process of salvation, they needed to first convert to Judaism to do it. And so Paul saw that this was troubling the church, the keeping of the law, the circumcision of the flesh, that this was troubling to the Gentile church. And so Paul and Barnabas went back to Jerusalem, and they had, as we deem in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. And it was determined in that council that those who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ didn't need to first accept Judaism as their religion and then Christ as the Messiah of the Jews, but they could just simply come to Christ. But there was some things that they wanted the Gentile church to do. And they sent forth Paul and Silas and Justice with a letter that stated in Acts 15.28, this is the climax of the letter, there's an introduction of Paul and Silas in their regards to the church, but here's the climax of the letter which states in Acts 15.28, for it seems good to the Holy Spirit, meaning that these four points that are laid out here was by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden than is necessary upon you. That one, you should abstain from things offered to idols. Number two, that you should abstain from the blood, meaning the kosherness of how the food is prepared. Number three, you should abstain from things that are strangled. And number four, you should abstain from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And so on this second missionary journey, Paul and Silas went out with this letter and he shared it with the churches that he had ministered to on the first missionary journey and they received it with glad hearts. But I also have to believe that he continued to teach on these things. As you are coming to faith, this is what the church in Jerusalem has decided is necessary for you. And so he called them as witnesses, for you know what commandments we gave through the Lord Jesus to abstain from sexual immorality. In verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. How many have asked that question? Lord, what's your will for me? What do you desire for me in my life? Here's an answer to it, your sanctification. We find this phrase, the will of God, being used in various places in Paul's writing. In Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Ephesians 5, 15, 16, and 17, he writes this, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Our memory verse for this month, or verses for this month, First Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Compiling these verses together, we see that God's will for our lives involves our sanctification. Offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Being a people that redeems the time in the evil day that we live in. Walking worthy of the Lord. Walking in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Living fruitful lives that bring glory to the Lord. Rejoicing and praying and giving thanks for all the things that come in our lives. For this is the will of God for us. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today. Yeah.